Welcome to what is the last in a series of catechesis lessons I have given this past year on living through the seasons of the church year and the impact that has on our spiritual journey. We now find ourselves in the Easter season after experiencing a Lent and Easter week like no other. My hope is that in this catechesis, I can help retrace our steps from Lent to Holy Week to today and see the ways in which our liturgies, our lectionary, our church year, and our worship have brought meaning and will continue to bring meaning to our life together as a community. Along the way, I'll insert a bit of the church history to provide the context of how the church has always relied on their liturgies and worship to bring the reality of its faith alive. A long time ago, last August, I began this series by talking about what ordinary time is and how we can walk through the seasons of the church in a, in a way that awakens us to a deeper journey in Christ. I described how the circularity of the church year mirrors the circularity of our spiritual journeys. The church seasons shape our lives in significant ways. Each year is never quite the same because we are different people than we were the last year. So we are always going to experience each season differently. We will experience the witness of the life of Christ differently, especially if we surrender to the ways in which Christ's life can shape ours. The center of the liturgical year is and always has been the passion and resurrection of Christ, the season that we are in now. It is the central wellspring of the Christian faith and perhaps a Byzantine calendar like this one expresses the better idea better than our, the, the calendar I was using earlier in the year. Because you can see here that in the middle is a painting of Christ with his disciples at the Last Supper on the eve of his crucifixion. That is the center of our church year. I've also introduced you this past year to how the seasons mirror the rhythm of the spiritual life as understood classically in accounts of the Christian spiritual journey. Those phases of awakening, purgation, and illumination. How as our journey with Christ is characterized by these kinds of ebbs and flows, so also in the seasons of the church, we experience, we experience wakening and renewal during Christmas and Epiphany. And then there are the times of waiting and yearning we experience during Advent and Lent. The seasons mirror spiritual moments we might experience all in one day, but are accentuated and affirmed and given meaning in our observance of the church season. So not too long ago, we began our Lenten journey in the midst of a crisis for our community. And we just experienced a Holy Week and Easter morning, unlike any other we ever have experienced. Perhaps you were alone, perhaps you were with your family, perhaps you felt isolated, and yet somehow we were all still together, at least in the spirit, if not physically. And so we woke up on Monday after Easter to the realization that we don't just celebrate Easter on Easter, we have seven weeks to celebrate it, 50 days, longer than the season of Lent, to ponder more fully the mystery of the resurrection of Jesus' life. I think this is especially so in this moment in our community. We have been in a journey together as a church, and it has felt like a desert 
So you may be even asking, how do we walk together in Easter in a way that feels genuine and real? And in this, we have been given a gift by our sister, Christy Marcus, who envisioned our sanctuary for Lent as a desert place, and then for Easter has created for us a worship space that speaks to the possibility of that desert becoming a place where signs of life and blooming and beauty can begin to take place. So I would like to take you through this morning with some thoughts about what Eastertide means. And I hope that you will walk away with the feeling that we can celebrate Easter together in a way that is genuine and is real. But first, let us remember that at the center of the Christian year is the week before Easter, Holy Week, when we walk with Jesus to the cross. So to fully grasp how we can celebrate Easter, I would like to talk a bit about Holy Week and how its liturgies lead us into this celebration of Eastertide. The celebration of Holy Week has always been important to the church's remembrance of Christ's passion from the very beginning. Perhaps even Paul's reference in 1 Corinthians is a reference to the early observances of the Jewish Passover as a Christian celebration of the passion of Christ. What could be more natural than after the experience of the Christ's passion, the week of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, that it would shed a new sense of fulfillment of the meaning of that Passover that would then continue to be the central feast for Christians? We know this is so because of a controversy that arose in the second century over whether Easter should be celebrated on the exact date of the Jewish Passover as had been continued from the early church, or whether a new development when it was celebrated instead on the Sabbath following the Passover, a controversy that was actually settled at the Council of Nicaea. Irenaeus, writing in the late 2nd century, mentions the 40-hour fast between Monday, Thursday, and Easter night. Augustine refers to the vigil as the most holiest of vigils. We have testimonies to the practices in the ancient liturgical documents that date from the third century that a full set of celebration of three days were in place, and even evidence of Palm Sunday by the end of the fourth. Christmas was a later addition, and the separation of a separate service on Easter morning was actually not begun until the Reformation. One of the most important documents regarding these feasts was found in the 19th century, written by a woman who was part of a monastic community of women. And in this journal that she wrote back to her, what she called her circle of friends, we see evidence by 380 AD that the full cycle of Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and the Easter Vigil were in place. She details the processions through Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the creation of the Stations of the Cross in Jerusalem on Good Friday as pilgrims walked through Jerusalem on their way to Golgotha. And many very rich details concerning the vigil of Christ's passage from death to life that began at midnight of Easter morning. We gather from her the the excitement of actually being in Jerusalem for those days and how important it was 
for the church from the very beginning to embody this witness to the centerpiece of our faith. It was actually important to the early pilgrims to actually go to Jerusalem. And it was only later when it was just impractical for pilgrims to go to Jerusalem by the end of the fourth century that we know that these uh, celebrations of Easter Holy were, were now became universal. So when we reenact Holy Week's events, we are acknowledging that the salvific actions of Jesus that took place 2,000 years ago bear an eternal presence in our lives. Christ is always present in this church, but we are even more aware of his presence in these reenactments and observances of the events of his passions. Ours is an embodied faith. Our God bore a human body, and our acts of worship must take on that nature too. So I love this quote by Robert Weber, who says that the power and the joy of the resurrection, the sorrow over his death, the power of Pentecost, cannot be completely nor adequately communicated through words alone. We have to actually live it. So the focus in the early church became centered on three days, what is came to be known as the Tritium, the three days which began on the evening of the Last Supper with Jesus' disciples and ends on Easter dawn. The Easter act of salvation embraces the entire three days from Holy Thursday to Easter Sunday morning. It begins on the evening of Monday Thursday. Monday actually means new commandment. I give you a new commandment, Jesus told his disciples that night, according to John, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. I certainly look forward to our own next year in Jerusalem when we will be able to share the remembrance of Christ's communion with his disciples together and in body. On Good Friday, we walked the road to Calvary. We had our usual stations of the cross at noon, but rather than looking at an empty church, Brad Cathy created for us a, a beautiful slideshow experience. And I think that many of us saw the familiar stations that line our church walls in a way we had not before. On Good Friday Eve, we listened to the passion story and we prayed our prayers of lament and reproach. And then we came to Easter Saturday evening and we celebrated a vigil. There were eight of us in that church celebrating the Easter vigil this year. And if you haven't had a chance to look at the YouTube video of it, please do. Because the vigil really is the center of the church year. For the early church, this was the only service on Easter. It began in the dark about midnight and, and Believers sat in vigil until dawn. It is the Christian Pesh or the Christian Passover, the night we watch Christ's Passover from death to life. It begins with a fire. So we begin with the service of light 
when the new Easter or Paschal candle is lit and that candle is brought in procession into the church as the deacon repeats the words, the light of Christ. These rituals are performed to show that Jesus's death and resurrection brought light into the world and destroyed the power of darkness. And the ancient exaltic hymn is sung. This is the night we celebrate Christ's victory over darkness and death. And then we sit in vigil and hear the stories of salvation that led to this moment when the Israelites were rescued from Egyptian slavery, when the avenging angel passed by their homes, and when they passed through the Red Sea at night into the promised land. So Jesus, by his passage through the sea of suffering and death, leads the people of God to freedom, the freedom of a communion of grace with the Father. It is an unfathomable saving action which was only accomplished by Jesus, our Paschal Lamb. And after we hear these stories, we rejoice in our story and ring in the bells in celebration of Christ's resurrection. And we repeat and shout the Easter acclamation, Alleluia, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. We walked this journey as a church and we rang our bells in the sanctuary and hopefully at home. And yet for many of us, perhaps, looking at the nearly empty sanctuary on Sunday morning felt like a reminder that we were still in our Lenten desert. So you may even be asking, how do we walk together in Easter in a way that feels real and genuine? And I'm so glad that you can see these pictures on this slide. For those of us who weren't in the sanctuary on Easter morning, we couldn't see this beauty that Christy created with the blooming desert flowers and the candle, which has a path through the desert that leads to the cross. And it brings to mind this beautiful passage from Isaiah, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. But what is Eastertide and why 50 days? Again, this was the earliest of Christian seasons, perhaps even before Lent. For what was originally associated with the Jewish Feast of Weeks, a 50-day celebration of the harvest that began with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and culminated in Pentecost, early Christians most likely transformed this Jewish season into a time of rejoicing in the bridegroom that is the risen Christ. The entire period was unified around the themes of not only the resurrection, but also the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was seen as the apex of that season. In fact, Pentecost is the last day of Eastertide and is the crowning close to the season of rejoicing. According to Ageria, at the end of the fourth century, the Ascension and the Sending of the Holy Spirit were both celebrated on that 50th day. And it was only later that the Ascension was separated on a, on a separate day, the 40th day after Easter, as the Gospels recorded, that was when Jesus was ascended. 
but these 50 days, these seven weeks, they may seem to be stretching out indefinitely before us. Where will we all be on Pentecost? Will we be together yet? And in Easter, I think there is the challenge that we don't have the special days like we do in on Holy Week, where we can mark the days of Jesus's post-resurrection appearances. We don't have the day where we celebrate the road to Emmaus, for instance. So it may seem less embodied, Eastertide. And also this idea of embracing the totality of Easter, its messages of, yes, resurrection, but also of the exaltation of Jesus as King and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, we do it by listening to the stories. This is what N.T. Wright shares in his book, Simply Jesus. He says, if you don't have the stories, then you wouldn't know what Jesus was about these 40 days that he was on earth before he was ascended. But when you read the stories, you understand what new creation life is going to look like. And those stories just simply overflow with the power of love. So N.T. Wright says, this is what you do during Eastertide. You read the stories. I listened to a podcast this week by Ruth Haley Barton, and I love the way she describes the post-resurrection stories. She pointed out that what Jesus did in the post-resurrection appearances to his disciples was to come and comfort them, to seek them out and to offer them hope. He came to his disciples in a gentle way. The disciples who had experienced this horror of watching their dearest master suffer and die. And he explained to his disciples why it had to happen the way it did. He spoke their names. He created conversations with them that would heal. He created circumstances such as with Peter on a beach at dawn when in front of a fire he gave Peter the opportunity to express three times his love for his Lord. He came to comfort them and to give them faith. He gently allowed them to express the feelings about their loss, their doubt, and yet he came to lead them to a new place and to assure them of their future. And yet in the end, for that ultimate future, he asked them to wait. And I think that really is where we still are as a community. We are still experiencing loss. And it, it doesn't have to be, Easter doesn't have to be happy clappy. We can have the same kind of Easter tide that the disciples did, where we come to Jesus in our pain and we ask the resurrected Jesus to give us that power and that love that only he can give. So there are different ways that we express the season of Eastertide. And I think I, you saw some of those in that chart at the very beginning. And, and one of them is naming God's presence. And I can't help but thinking of the story of Emmaus. And I love this story because here the disciples were on this road. And again, I'm drawing on Ruth Haley Barton's um, description of this story that she gave to us in the retreat that we had with her, the clergy and the 
vestry um, in February. And there they were on this road and they were with this person. They didn't even know who he was. All they knew was that this was a person that was willing to listen to them. And at the end of their journey, when they reached the town, they said, stay with us. And that can be our prayer right now. I know it's my prayer in my daily prayer. Stay with us, Jesus. Let us know your presence. We need you. And there's another aspect of the road to Emmaus that also is this other aspect of Easter where we're to take hold. And what we take hold of in Eastertide is hope. So on the road to Emmaus, the disciples said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And so they, they expressed their disappointment to, to this man. And so he opened up the scriptures to explain from Torah and the prophets, how his death and resurrection was prophesied and why it had to happen the way it did. And that he redeemed time through his death and resurrection. And then their eyes were open to him when he shared bread with them. And there is that identical language when he opens, when he shares bread with them, where he takes the bread and he breaks it. This is identical language to the language that we saw in the account of the Lord's Supper. And so their eyes were open to his identity. So what we find in the gospel records are not naive or credulous disciples who badly want to believe that Jesus is alive. Rather, we find highly skeptical disciples who are only gradually convinced of the truth through Jesus' appearances to them. And what Jesus says to them is that, yes, I am resurrected here. Feel my hands. I am here with you. And yet there is a time coming that's going to be even greater than this. So even in those 40 days, Jesus was pointing them to another time, to another greater time. And so he asked them to live in that place of the now and the not yet. And that's the place we're living in right now. We can't understand all that is happening to us. We just have to grasp this in faith. So, Easter season is about proclaiming and aligning ourselves to that proclamation. And I want us to grasp this Easter that that proclamation is one of faith and hope and unity in the power of his risen life in spite of the desert that we are in. So let's take a look at the Easter Tide lectionary because this is how we're going to have this experience of Easter. And I encourage you all that throughout the weeks of Eastertide, you meditate on the lectionary for the coming Sunday, because it's been chosen very carefully by the church fathers to help us walk through this season. 
So first thing we know is that we, instead of reading the Old Testament in the season of Easter, we read the book of Acts, which sometimes might mean seem a little counterintuitive, like don't you think we'd be reading the book of Acts during the Sundays after Pentecost? But again, go back to how the early church saw Easter as a looking forward to Pentecost. Easter was an embracing of the Holy Spirit. So it was an embracing of the life that Christ was giving to us now, after his resurrection and the life after his ascension. And so we read in the book of Acts, we can receive courage as we're on that road of the now and not yet, because the book of Acts is full of triumph and joy and glory, but it's also full of persecution and struggle and death. And then for our epistle in year A, other years, it's in the cycle, a three-year cycle, it's First John and Revelation, we're going to be reading First Peter, which was written to a, the church in a time of severe persecution. And what Peter is trying to convey in that message is that the church is a chosen people that have to endure pain. And yet in the end, we will have victory. And then of course, let's embrace those gospel stories, those resurrection stories. And what are those stories? And how can they help us? Well, the one for Easter 2 this Sunday is the story where Jesus comes into the room and he breathes on his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is how I'm going to be with you in the future. And they are overjoyed to see him. But when they communicate this later to Thomas, he says he can't believe. And so included in this story that we have in our Gospels today is this story of blessed are those who have seen, but even more blessed are those who have not seen. Once again, this theme of faith and hope, even in what we can't see. And then, of course, Easter 3, I've already talked about the road to Emmaus. And Easter 4, we start getting into some of the signature teachings of Jesus. And what could be more important than this teaching where it's called the Gospel of the Good Shepherd, where he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come that they might find life. And Jesus emphasizes in this that he alone is the good shepherd. And we should not be looking to anyone else but him ultimately. And then in Easter 5, we're in the upper room. And again, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I hope you're starting to grasp how Eastertide is really the perfect season for us right now in this place we are in our journey as a church. Let's be reminded by Jesus that we are not to let our hearts be troubled, but to embrace him in faith. And then in Easter 6, this beautiful, again, in the upper room, this beautiful last talk where Jesus promises that he will not leave them orphaned, that they will be loved, and that he is coming to them. And yet, wait, the Father will send you a comforter. 
So the 40th day is the day of the Ascension. And I always think that this is a holy day that kind of gets short shrift in the church season. But it's so important because, as N.T. Wright puts it, this is the day that Jesus is enthroned as the Son of God and the new King. And where is his kingdom? And even the disciples, as before he's leaving them, they say, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Right now, your job is to wait. Wait to receive the next step, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will be, because of this, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. But you will be a people who will be waiting. You will be waiting for that full unveiling. And that is all the disciples need to know, that it will come. Jesus disappears into the clouds. Perhaps it's a metaphor for the hiddenness of his kingdom, that it's real, and yet we can't always see it because it hasn't fully blossomed. It hasn't fully come. Jesus has not fought that last battle that he will fight with the devil when he comes again at his second coming, when the whole earth will be made new. And we now have to know that we're going to encounter trouble in the world. As Jesus said, you're going to encounter trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome. And so in Easter 7, once again, Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Easter tide also holds a message of unity, a message of unity around our risen Savior, unity in the Holy Spirit because we've been grafted onto the vine that will give us life. We've been grafted into this vine of Trinitarian fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the crowning, the last day of Easter, is Pentecost Sunday, that day when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I want to end with this trip trick, which is beautiful because I help, I think it kind of profoundly expresses what the season of Eastertide is about, how the ascension pictured here on the left and Pentecost pictured here on the right. And in the middle, we have the King of Glory reigning in heaven. And it helps us profoundly understand how Eastertide embraces all of these themes, resurrection, power from on high, faith, and yet this time of waiting, this time where we seek our peace in the desert and we watch it bloom. Wait, hope, see. Thank you.